Father, thank you for all of the good that you have been and done for us this past week. All the provision, all the protection, all the good news, the several good reports on health. And thank you for bringing Diana Krieger safely home. And Father, now, as we're gathered again, we thank you for this. We've been out in the world, Lord, doing the things we need to do that you've called us to do and doing our best to be light. But here you've gathered us once again. We need to hear from you. We're eager to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So God, speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I hope you know, during these Sundays in December, uh, we're doing this series in preparation for Christmas. We want to be ready in our minds, in our hearts, to celebrate Jesus rightly, to celebrate Jesus fully, not just, you know, with the warm fuzzies of the Christmas story, but seeing the full story, the long history of God's plan of salvation that reaches back to the very earliest chapters of the Bible where we find, we hear these whisperings. Whisperings of a promised one, a coming one. And this morning, I'm excited, not just because it's the third Sunday of Advent, but because we're going to look at one of the great moments in the Bible. Certainly one of the great moments of the Old Testament. The book of Exodus is really a remarkable book. It contains so much. story of Moses, his being rescued as a baby, his growing up, being trained in the very palace of the king of Egypt. And then being sent out into the desert where he encounters God in that burning bush. Being sent back into the capital city of Egypt where he has his standoff with Pharaoh. The ten plagues, the exodus itself, the people of God crossing through the Red Sea on dry land. And then their time in the desert when they receive the ten commandments, that terrible incident of the golden calf. It's all in the book of Exodus. It's amazing how frequently this book especially the Exodus, gets referenced throughout the entire Bible. It's a major reference point, arguably the major reference point from the Old Testament, and we're going to preach through this book of Exodus early in 2020. But this morning, I want us to zero in on this ever-so-important thing, this moment that we read about in chapter 12 that happens just before the actual Exodus, and we're going to find out that it... What we see in chapter 12 is a clear whispering. An early whispering of a coming one. In fact, to help us here, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine the entire Old Testament as a big bulletin board. I'm thinking about those bulletin boards that I remember from elementary school where the teachers would kind of pin up all sorts of interesting colorful things to welcome you into their classroom at the beginning of the year and prepare you for all of the things that we were ready to learn that year. So imagine the Old Testament as this big bulletin board with lots of colors on it, but you'll notice that gold 
is the dominant color. It shows up a lot. There's gold all over in a variety of different ways. That gold color, wherever it shows up, represents some anticipation of Jesus, the promised coming one. It represents a, a whispering, an announcement, some anticipation of him. Sometimes it's like a gold star. Very defined, sharp edges, very concrete, a clear statement. So there would be a gold star on Genesis 3.15. That talks very specifically about a coming one, a male offspring of the woman who would come and crush Satan's head. We, we saw that star two weeks ago. And there would be a gold star at Genesis 49.10 that talks about a coming warrior king from the tribe of Judah. We, we saw that star last week. There would be many other gold stars on that bulletin board scattered over the entire length of it, but you'd also see some gold threads running along, making connections like the gold thread representing God's presence in the Garden of Eden, linked to his presence in the tabernacle for the people in the wilderness, linked to the temple, his presence in the promised land, and that ultimately linked to Jesus himself, who was Emmanuel, God with us, who became flesh and tabernacled among us, who referred to himself as the temple. So you'd see these gold stars speaking of Jesus, you'd see these gold threads connecting to Jesus, but then there would be places on that bulletin board that, that just had a gold tint to them. Like someone had come along and lightly spray-painted with glittering gold paint in that place, not distinct, not concrete, but clearly gold, clearly making some connection, anticipating whispering in some way about this coming one. And that's what we have in Exodus 12. Something that as we first read it, doesn't appear to be related to the coming one. There's no explicit connection, but before long we find out it was preparing us for Jesus. It was anticipating Jesus. It is, in fact, real gold. So you follow along as I read. I'm going to read two sections from here in chapter 12, first starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt... This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for 
I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now look down to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. I want this morning for us to see three simple ways that Exodus 12, this Passover, prepares us for and anticipates whispers about Jesus. Three ways, perfection, substitution, and liberation. Perfection, substitution, and liberation. But first, before we look at these, let's make sure we've got the setting clear in our minds. At the end of Genesis, we read that Jacob and his 12 sons and their families, the 12 tribes of Israel... They had gone down to Egypt under Joseph's care because there was a great famine. And so Israel settled down in Egypt and they were preserved and they grew. But as generations and eventually centuries passed, their status changed from kind of protected guests to brutalized slaves. The Israelites were subjugated. They turned into slaves and their lives became hard and bitter. Israel endured 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and then God did something. He raised up a man named Moses, and when Moses grew up, God sent him to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and God instructed Moses to tell Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. But as you know, Pharaoh refused. And he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let you go? Well, he would soon find out. God sent a series of plagues against Egypt, and Pharaoh stubbornly resisted through nine plagues until God came to an end of his merciful judgment and announced to Moses that he would bring one more plague and that it would be a severe judgment in Egypt's land in response to their persistent rebellion against God. He he would bring death to the firstborn of every house. But it's right here that God speaks of his salvation for his people. 
this amazing whisper. Without them knowing fully what he's saying, he says, listen, Moses, I want you to tell everybody to take a lamb, kill the lamb, put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, and look there at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. So here's the first way that this Passover anticipates and points to Jesus. Perfection. Now, I'm not a farmer. And I'm not terribly familiar with animal husbandry. But I own two dogs. And I've owned a lot of dogs over my lifetime. And I know animals can have blemishes. There can be things wrong with them. Limbs not right. Growths on their bodies. Blemishes of various sorts. But God was very clear on this point. You are to go among your flocks and carefully inspect, and you are to find a lamb without blemish. And this continued to be the case with Israel's sacrifices. You go, you go through and you read the books of, of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you'll see this requirement reiterated over and over again, without spot, without blemish. Why? I mean, you might think it would make sense to get rid of the lambs with blemishes, the weak ones. Why the best? Why the perfect ones? Well, it was a reminder of God's standard. God created us to live in perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. And when we sin, we fall short of God's So this requirement was a regular reminder to the people of the way things were supposed to be with them. Spotless lives, unblemished lives. God created us with that capacity, but sin, our sin, blemishes us. It marks us. It stains us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the righteous standard of God. But then Jesus came. And while there are so many things, important things for us to know about Jesus, one of the most important things that is true about Jesus, one of the most important things for us to know about Jesus is that he never sinned. Not once. He lived a flawless life, perfectly fulfilling God's holy law in every way, and not because he was some you know, morally superior person who had just this extraordinary willpower. No, because he was the Holy One of God. Perfect in his holiness. That's who he was. And so he was able to offer that perfect, spotless life for us. He lived perfectly for us in our place when we couldn't. And that spotless and infinitely valuable life, fully living up to God's standard of perfection, he gave in our place. Listen to this. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We sing it, don't we? Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior.
The first anticipation, the first thing we hear whispered here in Exodus chapter 12 is the whisper of perfection, the need for perfect, spotless. Second, substitution. There is in Exodus chapter 12 the whisper of a perfect life by the coming one, but there is also in Exodus chapter 12 the whisper of a substitutionary death by the coming one. Look at the very next verse, verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then look down at verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God had told Moses that he was going to bring judgment against Egypt for their persistent rebellion and sin. And the judgment was death. Death is God's judgment on sin. And if one persists in their rejection of God, that death is an eternal death, separated from God forever. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But if there is persistence, God will judge. That's what God told Moses. I will visit the Egyptians with the judgment of death. And sometimes, right here, we can make the mistake of thinking, well, of course, the Egyptians are bad, the Israelites are good, which would be a great mistake. I mean, all you need to do is read Genesis. The history of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons, all of them to see that the Israelites were great sinners. The whole lot of them. So it's not that the Israelites were spared because they were so righteous. No, they were spared if they placed themselves under and beneath the blood of the substitutionary lamb which of itself had no power. There's no magic in this, but it pointed to something powerful. It anticipated something powerful. And for now, the Israelites had to trust God's promise without knowing fully that the true substitutionary lamb, the powerful lamb, was yet to come and that he would lay down his life. You know, you think about this lamb in Exodus 12. Why does it have to die? What did it do? Nothing. But God is making a statement, a perfect life now given as a substitute. What does the gospel say? That Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Just listen to the New Testament writer's glory in this truth. We have been justified by his blood. Romans 5, 9. I mean, Christian, listen to this. Let this rise in your heart. We've been justified by his blood. We have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 1. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2. We have peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation chapter 1. Substitution. 
something, someone instead of us in our place. Again, we sing it. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. You know, God makes it a point that the people were not to forget his deliverance through this substitute lamb and to aid their memory, keep it there before them all the time. He institutes this annual remembrance. This wasn't just a one-time thing. Every year they were to observe this Passover feast, and it's no coincidence that Jesus' death came right at this time on Passover. Except what he did on the cross was not for the kind of temporal, physical deliverance of a nation. It was for the spiritual deliverance of the world. So Passover whispers of Jesus' perfection. It whispers of his substitution. But ultimately, wonderfully, Passover whispers of Jesus in his liberation. One of the most striking things about Exodus 12 for me is what we read in verse 11. God says to Moses, tell them, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. God was saying to them, be ready. Be prepared for immediate departure. Because the the great consequence of my provision for you is your freedom from slavery. As I bring judgment on your captor, as I strip him of his power, you will be set free. Let your eyes go all the way down to the last verse of this chapter, verse 51. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. It's very interesting to me to observe phrases that get repeated over and over again in the Bible. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I asked the elders, we were there in the conference room for a meeting, and I was going to open the meeting just by reading a little passage of Scripture, but first I, I asked them, can any of you tell me what is the single most frequently repeated phrase in all of the Bible? Do you know what it is? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever which is a wonderful thing to hear over and over again, isn't it? Even though it's not repeated nearly as often as that, there's a phrase here that from this point on gets used over and over and over again throughout your Bible. It's the phrase, out of Egypt. Out from Egypt. Out from the land of Egypt. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I mean, just look, for example, at the very next chapter, chapter 13, Verse 3, then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look at verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Again in verse 9 at the end, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Look at verse 14. By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Again in verse 16. By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. I could take you to places in the book of Deuteronomy, for example, where the pages are just thick with those words. 
And throughout the books of history, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, it's in the Psalms, it's in the prophets, out of Egypt. And every time you read those words, here's what it means. Out of slavery, out of bondage, you've been set free. Just think about this with me for a moment. Think about what an Israelite would say after he'd crossed the Red Sea, He's out in the desert. If you were to ask him, you were to just come along and, and grab one of them and say, who are you? He would say, I was in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb and was saved and set free, and now I'm on my way to the promised land. We're not there yet. But God has promised to be with us. He is present in our midst and he will stay with us until we arrive at home. Think about that. That's exactly what a Christian says. Like word for word. I was in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and was saved and set free and now I'm on my way to the promised land. We're not there yet, but God has promised to be with us. He is present in our midst and will stay with us until we arrive at home. Friends, we've been set free. Free from our bondage to sin. Free from the nausea and the exhaustion of living to satisfy our own desires free from living in constant fear of failure or constant fear of death. I mean, once again, just listen to the New Testament writer's glory in this truth. Since, therefore, the children, that's a reference to us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. What we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus took on our flesh, that through his death he might destroy death and deliver. That's liberation language deliver all of those who are subject to lifelong slavery. Hebrews chapter 2. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Galatians 5. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, Romans chapter 8. And Jesus himself adds to it when he says, and if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. John chapter 8. Listen, with Christ, it's not like you're trying to build this bridge of your good works to try to get to heaven. That's every other religion on the planet. No, with Christ, he does it. Perfect life given as a substitute for you such that when you trust in him and what he's done, think about this. One minute you're under God's judgment and the very next moment you're justified. One minute you're in slavery and the very next minute you're free. One minute you're in the kingdom of darkness, the very next moment you are in the kingdom of light. One minute you're dead and the next moment you are spiritually alive. How? Because of what Christ has done for you that you receive when you come to Christ in repentance and faith. 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. Did you notice how this passage that I read earlier ended? Look there at the end of verse 27, Exodus 12. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. They understood something. They worshipped, which is exactly what we should do today and every day. But first, I want to draw a line for you this morning to pull this all together. Do you remember when I asked you a couple weeks ago to just imagine the length of this stage representing the unfolding story of God's salvation from Genesis, way over there, all the way through to Revelation, way over there. Over there, just one step on from Genesis in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, God instructs his people to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, spotless, and to kill it as a substitutionary death and use its blood as a protection over their lives. And then over time, we come to the Gospels. I don't know if you do this when when you read, but I often imagine myself there, kind of as an observer trying to understand more fully what's actually going on. And the first chapter of John is one of those moments that I really would like to have been at. I mean, here's John the Baptist with two of his disciples. They're walking down a path, and they see Jesus coming toward them. And Jesus, or John sees Jesus. And as Jesus walks by, he says to his disciples, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I just try to imagine what John understood, what his disciples might have understood. I think about the incredible historical significance of those words, the weight of all of that. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And later in that gospel, Jesus sitting with his disciples observing the Passover and when it came time for him to break the bread he said this is my body broken for you he took the cup and he said this is my blood poured out for you Jesus saying I am the Passover lamb I am what Exodus 12 was whispering about and then over more time we come to what we read in Revelation Chapter 5. I just want you to listen to this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went 
and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Just like those old Israelites. Friends, as we come into the Christmas season and as we get closer to Christmas Day, let us let this whisper from Exodus 12 take a spotless lamb, which turns into a bold statement in the Gospels, Behold the Lamb, which turns into a shout and a song in Revelation chapter 5, Worthy is the Lamb. Let us let that remind us what Christmas is all about. A Savior who has come. Yes, a king, a conqueror, a liberator, but one who conquers and liberates by laying down his life for us, by being our saving substitute. He came, born as a baby, to give his perfect life as a ransom for many. May you find your life in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, the book, the clarity of this book with all of its connections and all of its anticipations and fulfillments. And recognize again this morning, it's all about Jesus. From beginning to end, your perfect plan of salvation carried out, accomplished in your perfect Son. And so, Lord Jesus, we honor you. We celebrate you. We thank you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude and worship. Father, we want to say again, just very simply, thank you for sending him to us to rescue, to redeem, to set us free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.